So hello, and welcome to the second episode of IDcast, a pod where we talk all things industrial design. Now, my name is Brad Harper, and I am an industrial design recruiter. But if you are new around here, I'm only one third of the pod, attempting to keep a little bit of a structure alongside uh, regular ID casters in Emma Williams and Drew Kendrick. Um, today we're speaking with Ben Jones, Head of Design either with the medical device startup Entia, but has previously also been a creative director within the consultancy world. We're going to talk about what it's like to manage and coach a design team under lockdown, the, the nuance and difference between in-house and agency, what it is a design director actually wants to see in a product design portfolio, and also a call to action, whether industry can lead the way in the future of design education. As always, look out for us on the socials. Thank you and enjoy. How are you finding lockdown anyway? Um, about, yeah, I think the first week was a bit weird. Um, just... Yeah. Um, because I moved down to London in January, and then um, uh, yeah, I had about you know a couple of months of, of enjoying the city and being London. around and seeing different things, you know. And then, and then just to kind of suddenly go, you're back in your room. But then I think last week it dawned on me it's pretty much like doing your final year in university, where you know you're not going too far from your computer. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're probably having some random lonely bottles of wine on your own in the week and yeah. um <laughs> I think then kind of other than that it's yeah it is what it is. I mean I just keep have a very well I like to think I have a, an optimistic kind of outlook and you know there's people in a lot worse situations so there's no point winking about things really. It's just mm. um you know um it's it's inconvenient but you know I think if we all just get through it then it'll be fine in the end. So yeah. uh yeah, uh, I think well, I had a conversation earlier this week. Um, I forget with whom, but they were saying, "Oh, you know, there's, there's people that are far worse off." Like, yeah, but you know, your feelings are still valid. Like it's yes. okay to be pissed yeah. off about it. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I can find plenty of examples of people who've got things worse than I have right now. But that doesn't mean that I'm not, yeah, pissed off from time to time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, there's a guitar here, the guitar, yeah. and um, you know, just. You know, I couldn't imagine what this would be like without bloody internet. To be honest with you, mm. I mean, yeah, I think that yeah. would be a completely different situation. And, um... uh, so, <laughs> so, so how is um how has work been anyway over the last kind of couple of weeks? Yeah, so um, I uh, joined Entia properly in in January, and um, obviously it was a, it was the lure of London. It was two things for me. It was it was the lure of London. And and living in a a city, but on on another scale, you know. Like I've lived yeah. in smaller cities before and um, in my life, but this is just a different beast. Um, so there was that, and then also um, to work in house um, was mm. a different. I'd never experienced. I haven't had before. So there was those, yeah. those two things, and then coming to, to a new team, which is essentially a startup, but they've been going for. A, like four years now, so you can't call yourself a startup anymore. We're mm. we're, we're evolving into a company. So uh, myself and a few other people who've been brought in are, are in that kind of same mindset of trying to transform them into a into a company. If that makes yeah. really kind of sense. Yeah. Um, 
but so, but one of the things that when I when I first joined was that that they're completely cloud based, which just freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was like we're using, you know, um, some cloud systems that are going. How secure is this? And you know, I've always worked off servers and Windows Explorer. I've hardly been into Windows Explorer. Um, we don't really have emails. Um, everything's kind of Slack based because it's internal. Um, and it's, you know, I think I'm, you know, I'm 39, just gone a couple of weeks ago. And I think I'm the third oldest out of 30 people. So, you know, all of the, <clears throat> all of the kind of attitudes and mentalities there are seriously talented, intelligent people. Um, but also all the methods seem to be super fresh, super mm. fresh, you know, like questioning, why do we need email? Like, you know, I, I can't imagine how many times everyone's wasted. No, not wasted. It sounds awful to say it, but the amount of times people have written, how are you doing in the COVID situation? This, you know, there's kind of those intro lines in the emails that you're having to write. And, um, but again, it's just transitioning to a, um, an in-house mm. department, uh, in-house company that um, works differently. And it's just it's all about learning for me. I mean, that's the main yeah. driver. Um, so, 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 so to those that are listening who don't know who NTR are, have you got what, what's kind of the brief yeah. one, two lines um, of who they are? So um, NTR um, are a medical device company essentially looking to transform healthcare from a perspective of improving the patient's lives. And I think that's probably a, a very typical design-led statement for a company. Yeah. You know, like, why would you do it any other way? But you do realize how many companies there are, in my opinion, about 99% of companies that aren't design-led in that way of thinking about yeah. that, that end user. Um, and then from that point of view, um, the companies looked at um, anemia and chronic kidney disease, um, but in particular, the big one we're looking at now is chemotherapy, or sorry, or as for, for cancer. And essentially, it's to do with um, um, the monitoring of people's bloods. Um, mm. So currently, if you are going to hospital, if you pick up in a rural situation, you know, I'm from North Wales originally, mm. and if you're in mid Wales and you go to a local hospital for a, a chemotherapy um, treatment. So you'll go one week, depending on what the program is, you may go one week, and then the next week you go for a, um, a follow-up uh, chemotherapy um, treatment. But what happens then is you need to get your blood tests, and if you haven't got enough white blood cells, then essentially you get sent home because you, you don't have enough white blood cells to withstand the chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So what we're, what we're developing is an at-home blood monitoring solution system um and um obviously i can't go into a lot of the details of what no, no. it's going no, to no. do and how it works of course but um the, the main idea is it's taking burden off the nhs because people aren't traveling to the hospitals um and in particular when you start thinking about the american market and the sheer cost of everything in america is scary so to go there for treatments that you don't particularly need or able to have um but it's as well as it's kind of fulfilling this kind of hospital 2.0 vision mm. that is, you know, that your your hospitals are actually at home. That's what the future is. And you do as much as you can from home before having to go into the hospital for the actual specific 
treatment. So looking at it in a very lean approach, really. Yeah. Has recent kind of events changed the way you're thinking in terms of from a design perspective, in terms of now going through and living through you know, effectively a pandemic as a designer? Does that change your, not necessarily the business model, but just the way that you're looking at different problems now? I mean, the, another attraction for me was to do work in an area which is hugely impactful, right? I mean, yeah. I've got no interest personally designing new shaped shampoo bottles or, or yes. anything that, that isn't really creating a huge, huge impact. Um, that's just my personal perspective on design. Mm. And to know that you're going to make some huge differences has always been kind of a value system that I was attracted by. And I mean, I've been lucky in my years with design reality to have worked on some amazing projects. Mm. And it's the same, those things that really, you know, get me out of bed in the morning, to be honest with you. So I think with the immediacy of, of wanting to help the NHS and everybody does, right. And, um, you put your name down to help help and volunteer with the local Red Cross here. And you're just trying to, you know, understand how can I help in certain shapes or forms and you know and some people doing some amazing work with 3D printing at the moment and just trying to get mm. things out there. But for me I've kind of had to kind of go, I'm doing this project and if I put all my energy into this project that is, you know, realistically we're probably um definitely over twelve months away from from developing this project, probably eighteen. Mm. Um just the nature of medical device and the things we're trying to do, it's pretty, pretty complex means that mm. I can't help immediately, but I've kind of got this kind of, you know, feeling in my heart that I'll be able to help in a mid and long-term perspective, which, yeah. um, yeah, it helps me feel a bit better about things, but yeah, hats off to everybody who's, um, who's been working very immediately. You know, other guys at design reality, we do some amazing door openers. Now they've been 3d mm. printing. Um, for, for the local hospital um, and um, yeah just you know all the big companies obviously BAE and um, I think JCB Dyson of course I mean yeah, it's just been fantastic the efforts that what did I hear the other day I got BAE turned around a ventilator in five weeks and normally it takes 4.3 years or something that they, mm. <laughs> it, it would normally take on, on average to do one of these things so it's um unbelievable isn't it when you think the people just yeah i think the the, the one with the f1's been the one from the the penland one isn't it has been approved i think so it's the, it's the first one that's actually been approved from um with with the with some of the f1 guys so it does show that more so than ever and you, i was thinking about it from a recruitment perspective that that kind of technology transfer is is it, you don't need to come from X background to to work within X industry, do you? It's that kind of if you're an engineer, then you you are a problem solver, so you can therefore apply it to anything. Is that similar to yourself in terms of you've gone from agency to to in house? Is there been in terms of what you was doing before? Is there actually that much crossover, or has it just been a completely new learning ground for you? I mean, yeah, you've got to adapt, right? I mean, I quite like yeah. putting myself in a situation where I've had to adapt. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, the core, keeping core to the design process is the one thing that doesn't scare you when you move to a different design company. You're still kind yeah. of doing the same thing. It's just what are they calling it in different mm. respects. Um, I mean, we are um, running to a very detailed ISO 13485 
process, which is the quality management system for medical devices. And <clears throat> so, yeah, adapting is just yeah, obviously new people trying to work out what people mean when they say certain things. Um, what are your sticking points at the moment? What what what's the nomenclature that's uh, causing problems? Um, access to um, hospitals. Okay. Number one, that's yeah. the, that's the biggest problem. Yeah. So um, we have a hospital trial for some technology that we've developed, and we've had focus groups planned with. Uh, cancer patients and also um, cancer or um, chemotherapy nurses and mm -hmm. um, we've had to um, yeah basically delay them probably probably likely now to the autumn right and <clears throat> so the way that we've approach every good design should is to have um, you know those stakeholders throughout the process um, yeah. so and essentially from a medical perspective as well with the, the traceability is that the insights that you're finding that are creating requirements, they also need to be logged as to how would you create that insight? Yeah. So 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 what we're doing at the moment is kind of realistically probably going to, you know, adjust our focus to make some assumptions, um, make those assumptions, and then once we then kind of take them to um, those trials later in the autumn, then we'll have a better idea. You know how accurate our assumptions yeah. assumptions are really. So that's probably been the biggest sticking point. And and the other thing is just actual um, being around the office. You know, mm. it's um, um, working it's collaboration. Is, is collaboration as strong over Slack or, or Teams or whatever? <clears throat> it's it's good for gifts and silly things. And <laughs> like but, um, um, now, I mean. We're on Google Hangouts. Um, I'm on Google Hangouts pretty much half my day. Um, Slack, uh, Slack is is used just to obviously you know, attract some people's attention to to something or other. Um, we've used a, um, a collaborative system called Miro or Miro. We're all trying to have arguments over how it should be called. Um, We're calling it Miro, but I've Miro. Been down, so it could be anything. You're right. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's like an online post-it note. Yeah, and that's been that's been very good. That's been helpful. I mean, we had a session the other day. We did a um, pretty much a kind of FMEA, um, um, basically a risk analysis look over a whole user journey, and we had twenty people in there, and that was pretty much the whole design and the engineering team mm -hmm. all um, beavering away, dropping post-it notes on parts of the user journey. So um, there are there has been some some really helpful tools mm -hmm. that. Um, I think if we we weren't using them, we would have been it would have been a struggle. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, though, I, I saw um, the government have got a, a digital department, and they've got some really nice guidance on tools. I can probably I'll find it and share it with you, but it's basically a whole load of different tools for different parts of the design process oh. that are like a Miro, you know, some some kind of solution to. To, to get over a, a problem in the design process because of the situation. So I'll, uh, mm. I'll share that with you after, actually. Yeah. So yeah. What, was, what, was, what was the design and engineering team like when you joined? Was You see there's 20 in there. How much has that grown since you've been there? Um, in three months, maybe an extra six 
people. I think there was about 24 um, when I joined. I think there's about 30 now. And mm. um, I think, yeah, we. Um, I know we've still got some positions to look at. Um, the situation still, obviously, you can imagine yeah. a little bit um, complex at the moment, but the 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 strategy was to employ forty by by September. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm out of the loop on on those types of things. Yeah. But, so, but what's it what's it like to obviously when you join a company recently, you're still getting to know the staff, you're still getting to know the people. What's it like to you know, effectively you 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 know, you're all, it's all digital now. So how is it? How how has it been in terms of trying to create that culture, um, particularly as you're heading up the design team? How have you found that as a challenge? And that must be very different to, you know, a design reality when you're seeing everyone, you know, the whites of their eyes on a daily basis. How are you actually finding creating that kind of culture? I think the first couple of months were key in just mm. me really appreciating a NTRR, and I've been some in some job reviews where your the personality of the person is literally measured equal to their abilities and experience so if they could have they could be the greatest designer and mm. designed for you know all the you know wonderful idealistic companies could be an IDEO and apple and all these different places mm. if their personality sucks they're not going to get in the door yeah and um, and I don't mean that in a very kind of absolute way. It's more a sense of just not having the right cultural fit. Mm. And and so then me then kind of realising that, A, you know, there's out of the 30, I believe it's about five PhDs. Um, there's quite a scattering of masters. And what I realise is that everybody in their position is is very, very talented and very, very capable. Mm. And, and then I think then from that, what I've realised is that you have – complete faith and belief that the team is very, very professional and and therefore from being um, responsible for tasks and we communicate a hell of a lot. Um, it was quite a surprise actually compared to other places is that, you know, daily stand-ups, uh, working in sprints, um, this type of aspect, it's, it felt like over-communicating to begin with the start of like, I'm hearing, but it's but it's been really really healthy, and I think particularly with the autonomy of those people. So, back kind of answering your question more specifically, but giving me the background of it, it then means that once you've got people in the team that are given tasks and responsibilities, they've they're pretty much not going beyond the day without being able to tell you how it's going. So mm. it gives them the freedom of having, you know, as a creative in particular, you want that autonomy, you want the feeling of responsibility you don't want to be, mic- to be micromanaged do you totally right and it's probably in, in my situation i've come here with a quite an adamant leadership style of um um that i basically i'm not come here to be a dictator i want to basically make sure the team are fully resourced are happy are confident they know where they're going we've spent the last two two weeks doing quarterly reviews and so not fully but just that's been a key part of it so my style is is here is making sure that everyone's happy they're confident they know where what the plan is they know what's going ahead and uh, me at the head of design is not a whole i guess um a lot of onus to be kind of i don't know um 
the all knowing of everything because you know to me like I've always worked in team sports um, I played team sports is to me you know you're stronger together and to me if I can empower the team that's a, a better a better solution than trying to be a dominant kind of you know dictator of head of design or anything like that you know yeah totally I think I, I, I like that analogy um, in that you know um, like take a take rugby or a, a team like that you need people who are quick uh, people who can kick and people who can just like be heavy. <laughs> like sometimes your job is to just be heavy, right? Um, and I think the same with a with R and D or with a design team. Even if you're all industrial designers, you don't always need everyone to be brilliant at everything. And again, I think personality comes in as well. There's a sort of there's a leaning of an interest towards one element. And I think I think you're right in that team. As long as everybody's kind of willing to to go like here's my boundary here's the bit that i want that i really want to get hold of and here's the bit that i like actually i think we're all probably more comfortable with that i mean the, i mean the when i look at you know design reality was phenomenally capable phenomenally capable in terms of what everyone could do in, and the adaptability of everyone in the team um and then coming to, to antia i wasn't sure you know that's probably the biggest unknown i had was coming to a design team and kind of going yeah. I knew everything about the company and different aspects, but I didn't know what my team was going to be like. And um, we, um, in specifically the design team, um, terminology here's an interesting thing, right? So there's engineering, of which there's two design engineers in the engineering team. Yeah. But to me, they're still designers because mm. design engineers are still designers in my book. Um, but, so then we've got industrial designers. Um, and the interesting thing about them then is the adaptability of the six industrial designers are that they now sway across this UI, UX, and industrial design kind of landscape, right? So, yeah. um, like we we brought on two um, really talented graduates from Loughborough, and um, they both graduated with the same degree, and one is industrial designer, and the other one is our UI designer mm. <laughs> as a graduate. And but to me, it's that you know. Um, the core industrial design ability because it's such a broad discipline mm. then means that you can specialize within it but still having the ability to know that if I need the UI designer to I don't know uh, mock up a prototype a physical 3D printed prototype then she will be able to yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's quite a nice ability to where I felt I was like I hope this isn't going to be super specialized where Someone's going to go, no, sorry, I'm an in-house designer and I don't do anything outside of my box. Is to me, mm. we've got a really good um, team culture. And that's one thing I've tried to make sure that mm. that's, that is strong because, yeah, when you need when you need help, you want to make sure that other people are willing to chip in. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what advice would you give then for designers that, I suppose, going both ways? So if you was to go back four months and go do what you did, what what advice would you give to any designer now that's agency side that wants to go in-house and also flip that around the other side that's thinking about their first consultancy gig what advice would you give Ooh, yeah i mean yeah that's come up in in interviews actually where um we've had graduates who've been weighing up both so they've probably got mm. like, probably got some de- decent perspectives because yeah. um i've been mentioning this to quite a few people actually um in, this, in design reality uh, people like jordan as well is that I think what consultancy gives you is um, a huge amount of diversity across 
industries and and sectors. Um, you know, it's and and because of the nature of time and delivery, um, I kind of I don't know if I've made this term up, but maybe I don't know where it's coming from. But I kind of call it like a design fitness. So to me, it's like design consultancy is a bit like I don't know going to CrossFit gyms or something. You're there, it's intense, it's you're there, you every hour counts. Um, and from that point of view, does it need to be billable as well? Have you, have you found that? Yeah, and that's the approach, right? Um, and 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 that's great. You you build a great portfolio. You um, need a whole diversity of, and you can bring technologies from one sector to another, and um, and and the pressure is good. And you need to have the equivalent energy to be able to work in that environment. I think as well. Mm. Um, and then on the in-house side of things, it's you get a lot more depth. I think realistically because you're involved and you're seeing, for example, company strategy. So in consultancy, you're always it's the client strategy you're working yeah, to. Yeah. And if you don't get to have a lot of effect on that, and yeah. um, they're bringing the brief and they're bringing the budgets, and you're trying to do the best for them in that situation. It's it's the same as recruitment, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then from an in-house perspective, the depth and detail. Um, that we're going into is really beyond what I was expecting. And mm. that's kind of, again, new experience for me. So to me, I think, you know, there's this T-shaped model, isn't there, of a, of a person. And, and you know, I, I quite like the, the broad approach of, of design, understanding it. And I've certainly got that from consultancy in terms of, you know, getting projects off the ground, managing teams, um, being a designer, <laughs> all those different kind of parts of the puzzle. And then now it's really, again, a really nice, interesting perspective where, you know, like we've got some insanely clever people doing um, some computational work on um, imaging blood. And it's just like, <laughs> I, I thought I was smart until I met these guys. And, mm. um, and, and, and is that aspect, but then also kind of understanding more about business operations and, um, things from a board level and, and fundraising, mm. so it, it's all quite interesting from that point of view as well. So, um, I'm, I'm do, you liking, think, do you think do you think designers should experience both? I think it's good to have empathy, right? Because um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the that's the thing is that I don't. There should never be a one or the other. Um, mm. um, and I think it's just it's understanding that you know when when you're in consultancy and a client brings you a brief and you kind of going. Oh, the first thing you're doing is just sitting there with three or fours in the room, like questioning the hell out of everything. <laughs> and you're going, oh, you know, I should change this, you should change that. And what about this? And have you thought about that? Um, but then on the also the other side thing is that I think that what I'm most proud about my time at Design Reality, and in particular the, the early years um, when I was there as a product designer, 2002, 2008, was the intensity when we're working on things like the, the British military respirator, um, mm. uh, a couple of other projects that come to mind that the energy and the delivery kind of pace. Mm. Therefore, then when I went and was a lecturer in Australia and I've come back here, um, I felt that, that that same energy is, okay, you get a lot from your parents and those kind of things, but that first job out of university, I think sometimes can, can form you 
in a way mm. that don't realize um and for me it has personally you know so i feel like i've got that energy that i still got when i was you know a 21 year old gra- graduate i think yeah. I hope anyway about <laughs> <laughs> that uh, change of energy when i went from uh, combatech my first time at combatech to design reality probably not um oh, a few years after you left actually the first time and yeah, I, I felt it really daunting. I felt like the challenge was going to be, was like about as much as I could stomach, to be honest, that, that change of pace, because I've been working on one, maybe two projects for three and a half years. And we get this super depth um, of knowledge about the user and about the condition and all of that, right? So you can, you can sit at a page and just sketch away all day, knowing that, yeah, this will have an effect here and this will, you know, you know you know your stuff right and then you've got like a weekly turnaround and you've got to make a CAD model by the end of it and you've got to be on the printer and it's mm-hmm. got to be finished otherwise someone's going to eat your lunch right <laughs> damn that's uh i don't know if i've got time to think about it I've got to make yeah. the thing, so fr- fr- from that from that experience street did you kind yeah. of come to the kind of a conclusion where some designers are better suited in-house other designers are better suited agency side and others are maybe better suited in the startup you know did you come to that conclusion or not i think there's always going to it's as we mentioned earlier there's like a huge personality impact and i think there's always going to be house caps and there's always going to be uh you know what's the equivalent for an agency type right uh, not not for all um <laughs> but people who like that you know uh, that high energy um and that that's that super paid for me, actually, I, it, it was it was a daunting challenge, but once you get into it, you, you get up to speed very, very quickly. You know, a couple of weeks in, you're like, well, okay, I, got, I, um, I know what I'm doing here. I know the bit that I've got sacrificed from my typical process, and I know I've probably got to do a longer day, and I've got to look at my phone a little less. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you just, there is a bit more pressure, but it's also like... Yeah. It, again, it's, it's similar to playing a team sport. You've got to show up, you've got to make sure that your fitness is right and you've got to make sure you're paying attention to what everyone else is doing. Um, and, you know, don't drop a ball. Yeah. I think the other thing that I find yeah. quite interesting as well is the perspective of some university courses that are, um, like for example, the we found it an incredibly easy fit for Loughborough University students mm. into reality i think there's yeah. probably six i think probably on the seventh um sandwich placement kind of continual um uh, there and it's i think just the awareness of what consultancies wanted because of the breadth you've got to offer um yeah. is that then they're final year students were such an, an easy really easy graduate fit and mm. um and i found it particularly attractive when i was going through portfolios um at this end because the quality is so far higher isn't it um it, it's yeah i mean it, it, i mean it's a difficult one right um because yeah i mean there is a huge difference between the, the top end industrial design courses yeah. and the top end ones i mean i was I, I was reading a blog that you wrote actually before oh. uh <laughs> Um, we try and I do I try and do a little bit of prep before um, we invite um, someone on. Yeah, and, and it was from a couple of years ago. Yeah, if you so, want to tell everyone to what, me, that, what that was about at the time. Right. So um, I am like true member of the British Dust Design Association. I wanted to know more about it because I 
I do, and I'm going to swear, I do give a shit. And oh. and this is important for me. You know, I've got friends in architecture who are kind of backed up by the RIBA and um, these types of things. And I'm going, well, why is my discipline? Why can't I be charted? Why can't I have some recognition beyond the portfolio? Where's my continuous development as, as part of an association? Where, where is that? And it's and that annoyed me. Um, so I thought, right, let's get involved with this. And I think I was having a bit of a, a whingy time of my life, maybe. But, <laughs> but basically, the British Industrial Design Association had put out a survey to its members to identify from which I think there was like 60 odd university courses um, that offer industrial product design in, in the UK. Hmm. And from where they would select graduates from based upon, I think, and this is where I'm being careful here, right, is that it's yeah. from a, a typical average, not average, a typical person's output from that university. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself didn't go to one of those top 10 universities. Um, yeah. Lots of my friends who are very, very talented didn't go to some of those top universities. So yeah, you're my, absolutely point, right. my, my, my point being there was that all I was doing was, was putting a comment on that the stark differences is between 10 and another 50 universities is, you know, and I think if you were really honest and went through and had a look at the output, then I genuinely think that some people who are getting a third at a top university would probably come out of a bottom university with the first. It's, and some mm. things I've seen that I'm kind of going, I was doing this in GCSE or A-level. Yeah. And this is... so. It was more a sense of a call for a standardization and um, yeah. it wasn't against any universities and I was only commenting on the facts that are in front of me. It wasn't my kind of I think this university is better without any I'm sure they I'm sure they I'm sure they have their own internal struggles with funding and that kind of thing, which is yeah. maybe part exactly, part, of the, right? part of the problem. Is this as well, could this be an issue that could probably be addressed within schools, like pre-university? Like maybe you were saying how a lot of your friends who are extremely talented, they didn't go to these top universities. Maybe they need to be aware of these universities post going to university. Because I know when I was 17 applying for universities, I was kind of, I didn't know half as much as I do now. And no one really taught me. So do you think maybe um, industrial designers need to sort of teach the younger generation before it's too late and they've done that decision? Yeah, I think there's, there is an issue. I mean, I was kind of like a first in family, I think that's what they kind of call them, um, university person. So no one in my whole family, extended family, been to university. So to me, there was lots of conditions that I was conscious of before I went to Wolverhampton. Uh, it was a computer did you always want to be a product designer? Um, I was talking about this with work the other day. I hadn't, I've always enjoyed what we call CDT, which is craft design technology up in North Wales. That's what the title of that was and <laughs> enjoyed it. I just didn't really know why or where it was going. Um, did you, I, I can't remember of, if, did you go to Glencloyd? I went to Craydon. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. A well-speaking yeah. school. So, um, and, um, but I also kind of I loved computers, you know, like I loved just like playing computer games. Um, but I also loved going to Curry's and Comet and like quite sadly, mum and mum go to like I don't know, MFI or something like that with dad and I go, I'll go next door to, you know, have a look in Curry and Comet and I'd be like there playing with the high fives, mucking about with the kettles, um, and just pressing things and, and just being interested by that. And then 
and I, I still, you know, I still keep in contact with my old DT teacher is that until kind of he said in the sixth form, you know, if you thought about product design as a, I'm like, I don't really know, you know, really much about it. I just kind of, I did it in A level. I did A level maths, economics, and DT. And yeah, I just enjoyed it. And that's my whole philosophy. If I'm not enjoying something, I'll just stop in. If I am enjoying it, I'll carry on doing it. <laughs> and, and I was enjoying it. And then he said, well, why don't you see it? So you've got, you've got a little bit of talent maybe in it. So, um, so that's, it's, I wouldn't say I've kind of, particularly in North Wales, you don't, you weren't kind of aware of a, you know, a, Adita Rams or Johnny Ive or, you know, design history wasn't really well, well kind of promoted or advertised. So you just kind of did it and had a look and, um, yeah. And the interest for me in particularly Wolverhampton, I mean, I got 24 points. I got an A, B and a C, um, A in design. And I could have gone to Salford, but I think just the culture of this campus that I'd been to, uh, Wolverhampton, and also the modern facilities they had and the fact that it was a very much a digital, one of the first kind of digital focused design courses um, was was really, really interesting. It, in hindsight, I'm quite critical of what the education was there. But for me, the, pers- the, the, the way the place felt to me was just hugely important. And mm. Salford, you know, was a little bit scary, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, had very, very high high output but again I think at the time and this is comes back to I think what Emma was saying is that I just felt that you go to university and I think a lot of people think this right you go to university in particular if you're first in family you go there and you kind of taught what everyone else is taught whatever wherever and if you go to a Loughborough or you go to Wolverhampton or you go to a Bangor you're expecting the same in particular when you know now these fees are getting pretty high yeah. Is that my my expectation would be? Well, I'm getting that, and and I think that's the an interesting part of 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 the conversation. I think which is value of education. But when you're 17, you've got no bloody idea. You just well, kind of going. Yeah, I'm expecting to go to university. I'm going to get a huge debt. Apparently, you know, it's worse now than when we were. Yeah, we were there, and but you know, it's it's I, I think. It's people don't people probably feel pressure when I go to university now. Yeah. Can, can um, the industry do more though, Win? Do you think? Yes, I mean, what does rile me a little bit is that there, there's you know, people like James Dyson. Sometimes I think he's quoted as saying that he you know he wouldn't employ industrial designer, and you know, and it's very much oh we're engineering and we're mechanical engineering and design engineering and it's. But my point being, yeah, I think there's people like him, you know, Johnny Ive. Um, um, you look at the Seymour Powells. Um, you look at, um, um, you know, like a, an, a prestigious consultancy like DCA, um, Canadian Four. There's some people there, I think, that really should be getting together and forming a, a I don't know, an alliance <laughs> design association or something because my point being there is that it's difficult i think we you know i've been involved with beda and it changes hands a little bit and it's it's tricky right but i think that if you were to these people who are i guess kind of renowned in the industry and renowned potentially in public life as well 
that if they were to get together, then I think that some kind of level of of quality then then starts dripping down. So, mm. for example, the in Australia, they have the Australia Institute of Architects. If your degree isn't accredited by, so if you're at the University of Sydney, <clears throat> if your degree isn't accredited by the Australia Institute of Architects, then once you qualify from the to degree, you can't actually call yourself an architect. Well, I don't think they can even offer it in some places. So, <clears throat> so there's almost like a a prestige around being called an architect, which right. to me, a designer is like, oh, you downloaded Photoshop, you're a designer, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it really true. pisses me off, you know. Um, it's like it um, adds some elitism to it, doesn't it? It's kind it of does. like, it's, which is a, a difficult thing, right? Because I think there's elitism is 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 a word that sometimes you know I cringe when I hear. Um, but it's like, but you've got to strive for quality and just trying to kind of go, well, what what is high quality? And mm. yeah. it's not it's it's not necessarily saying that every university the output should be the same as the top two, but just kind of, of raising that yeah. minimum expectation. Because yeah. one of the like one of the best things I think this year, it's not going to happen this year. It's really annoying because it's literally like a ten minute um, journey now. Is the um, business design centre has new designers every year mm. and that is amazing for seeing the different almost philosophies of, of what a product design course is in the mm. country you see like um, very consultancy focused Loughborough you see a bit more conceptual in um, Brunel to a certain extent and Central St Martins you then see more social aspects from like Middlesex and, um, and Dundee so you kind of from that point of view it's really nice that it's taking their flavours, but this, this is still this thing that if you're getting your university certificate, you probably feel like I can walk into a job. I'm sure if you if you get your accountancy degree, you probably feel like you can get an accounting job. Mm. If <laughs> you know what I mean. But it, you're absolutely right. I feel like you can get a design degree, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a job in industrial design at the end of it. You know, if you are educated yeah. not in those right places. And and it's difficult because they want to kind of keep them going, right? I mean, Tony Blair apparently was one of his tactics, which was to reduce unemployment, is that he basically offered a lot easier university education in the in the mid nineties, so that basically people weren't out on the streets being unemployed; they were in the university. It doesn't matter what standard it is, but offering a course. And you know, we need to ask a question: if sixty um, universities are probably pumping out on average maybe 50 uh, students in a final year so on average that's 3,000 students um, out design industrial design product design students who are out there in the marketplace as graduates so my point being is where I think this kind of almost like dream team of um, of maybe of, we should of, try and get them together yeah maybe yeah, we should try and get them together, them together. Podcast together. Because, you know, if you imagine, like, you look at what Grand Designs has done for architecture, right? The amount of people that probably want to be architects after watching Grand Designs. And there's bugger all for, um, you know, other than these, like, how it's made, which is, like, watching things, you know, getting bottles. The, 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 the Big Life Fix was really good. Did you watch that? BBC? Yeah, yeah, to be fair, that, that was a good recent one. Um, mm. But, you know, before then, there was Better by Design by Seymour Powell. We did, like, a, a six-part series on... Yeah. Um, like a shopping trolley in a bin, and you know that was that was cool. But, See, um, I watched that. I'm not talking to be 
even know that there was this profession out there. We were talking about this last yeah. week, actually. It comes up all the mm. time. But that came on TV. I was like, holy shit, you can just spend your time doing design tech for a yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm doing that. <laughs> well, it's one of the things that I've actually thought about because I do quite enjoy this kind of DJ presenting stuff that um, maybe to do something that was like, and you started off on YouTube or something, that if I could kind of try and work out to spend time with with some designers and, and make up a program that we're getting yeah. released on youtube and you did something like that to build the profile somehow would would be amazing um, yeah but, but that's the problem right i think that you kind of go go to everyone what's the biggest company in the world i think well okay amazon maybe now but recent years apple why, why are apple so good are oh, they got great technology and i really like the way they use the products okay so that's pretty much design right and <laughs> um, then <laughs> so, and then from that point of view, it's the logic then of kind of going, so they're the richest company because they know what their customers want and users want, and they give them exciting, innovative things. And there also needs to be this other voice of, okay, well, we've got these potentially dream team of, of, of industry, industrial designers, um, and, and they've got a voice that promoting what we do, but then also companies need to understand that, in my opinion, Every company has to have a designer. That's as much as you have an accountant, you should have a designer. And I think that the role of what design is from a functional value creation, whereas I think a lot of people sometimes think that design is so superficial and that it doesn't really have any core meaning. It's, mm. it's you know, everything, everything, oh, you're just thinking about form or you're just thinking about the color of something. And it's like, well, yeah. even if I am, the color's got meaning. <laughs> Well if, you look, well, if you look at what Logitech have done, for example, that's a really good example of adopting to a more of a design-led approach and look at the sales now. It's out of control. So that, what, that, what I don't yeah. understand is how there's a problem, right, at a government level, that, 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 that the, the logic of what you're trying to do, you're trying to maybe make more money or more profit by selling more products or services, right? What is the product and service you're selling? <laughs> and Relative to the market, where are you in the market? If you're, I always think about a leaderboard, you know, where are mm. you? Middle of, middle of the league table, top of the league, bottom of the league. And, and what's going to get you that market share? And do you know your customers? And are you giving them something innovative? And it's yeah. just, it, it frustrates the hell out of me. Because yeah. I think, like, even if you are a kebab shop, right, then to me, a designer can go in there and rethink their service and rethink like kebab shops are actually phenomenally healthy unless you're eating that that lamb stuff that's a bit minging mm. or they call meat but the chicken kebabs right in theory it's grilled chicken and with salad like mm -hmm. <laughs> so my point being there is there's just some simple things that people aren't thinking about that a designer could could, could be involved with and i think i mean i don't know enough about other design educations and philosophies but an industrial designer is obsessed with Something new and something is better. Like that's, in my opinion, what we're about, and and that you're creating value. And and I think from that point of view, then that's what every business is trying to do. So the logic again, industrial designer there, in terms of this design thinking question, is it's inherent in the breeding, and that that does annoy me. That, that I say there's one thing that did shock me right in Australia. The the Australian tax office had a um, a graduate scheme, and this literally, I was stunned when I saw this. And they were looking for people to 
join the Australian Tax Office and um, you can be a graduate of any programme, essentially, but they particularly were looking for, and I couldn't believe it, industrial design was top of the list. Hmm. Right? And this is the Australian Tax Office. Could you think of anything more removed from creating a product than talking about tax? <laughs> right? So, so the interesting thing for me there is you kind of, if you imagine poor industrial designer, <clears throat> in most situations, they change it for the better. Hmm. Right? And that's that's my general feeling about most things. And there's all these things that, um, you know, I get sometimes a bit too opinionated on politics and I just kind of go, Imagine getting a load of industrial designers and sorting out this government. That's a different conversation of the day, maybe. But I do feel that there's just some core, simple, top-level values and principles that industrial design and business, industrial design thinking and also business people have, and they're not joined enough. And I think if you had that demand, yeah, and the demand then would mean that these graduates... 3,000 graduates would easily get employed every year. Every year, 3,000 graduates. But if they were of a significant, of a decent quality, then it's, it therefore means that the whole business world and the whole economy is becoming a higher quality. And yeah. Um, I have a quick question. Before we get time. Um, so the, the, um, the blog post that you wrote, I, I was part of BIDA at that time when we were doing that survey. Um, and the one thing that I kind of wanted us to follow up on um, and it might be worth talking about now as well. But is there still space for what would have been an old polytechnic course and an apprenticeship? I just feel like that's something that, you know, if you're a working class kid, almost, I think we all were, coming out of, you know, forgotten town in the middle of nowhere in Britain, you don't know about this, this, this industrial design and you probably can't afford to go to uni anymore. So is there a way that you could get companies... Any virtually any type of company that's got that resource could offer 16, 17, 18 year olds that kind of apprenticeship, and maybe then you follow that on with a, with a degree as well. Yeah, I think I think that's that is a very, 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 very good solution. Um, design reality were always keen to get some apprentices on the board, um, if it was sometimes from a, a workshop perspective, and I think it's. I think, I think one of the issues is that universities, they kind of line to themselves sometimes in the way that they're trying to be too highbrow about some some aspects of design. And if it's sometimes about, you know, um, about creating some outputs is, you know, I reckon a lot of my friends would struggle if they went to, a, I went to a central St. Martin's presentation um, like a mid-year review of their final year projects. I reckon there's lots of industrial designers that I would know that would just find it really, really uncomfortable to be in the way that they were thinking. And it was very artistic-based, was very depth of meaning. And I've come from a, a market problem or a public or a social problem, and that's it. I'm not saying one is right or wrong, right? Mm. But yeah, I just find the suitability of those things difficult, and I feel that where a university is essentially there to develop you to think. I just know that there's some practical people that you would put in a in a course that is very high level thinking um, would would struggle um, in that situation. So I think apprenticeships. I mean, you know, if you would, if we were talking practically, if I 
if you were to get, I mean, what's the standard fees now? It's about ten grand, right? Something like that. Nine ten. Nine, nine ten, isn't it? Something like that. Nine. Right, nine yeah. Grand, yeah. So per year, right? You start thinking now. If you were a semi-savvy, experienced designer, would you go? If I could somehow <laughs> advertise myself well and get ten students, that I all had to do was work with ten students all year, and those fees came to me, (laughs) (laughs) then you kind of go, well, I could give them specific education at at that level. And, you know, it's just sort of talk about thinking about it in a different way. And we're saying, what a, you know. The Wynn Jones Academy, is that what you're (laughs) (laughs) advocating? We have talked about, I've talked about it with the designers in the past. It's kind of going, Mm. you know, for these fees, you know, a student, I feel, is being a little bit blindsided in the fact that, they don't really know what the value is, and mm. in particular, when you if and it's until you maybe look at other universities, and it's sometimes you go to a degree show. I think that's sometimes where you don't realise what potentially levels are. Um, but I agree. I think there needs to be a more, you know, when you think about the amount of money that I don't know nine or ten grand times. Um, you know, I think the first year cohort left by something like 150, right? <laughs> There's some serious money's sort of being thrown around here. And then you start mm. kind of going, okay, well, what's that going towards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I just don't want us to get into an American kind of situation, you know, where these people are basically having like a mortgage as a student loan. Mm. And and that's that's particularly scary. I really don't want us to go down that. And so I haven't got a solution, but I, I backed through up hundred percent is that we need to there is options for rethinking these types of aspects because you often find as well that some people who are you know my sister she's phenomenally practical and she has low confidence in herself kind of academically now I'd hate to think of people who are potentially are good with their hands like making things who maybe can't go to university or therefore don't go do do industrial design but potentially if they'd left at, say, 16 and gone to a, a local technical college where they could keep that practical interest that they've got, is that, you know, that person, therefore, can, can succeed through a different, a different, a different mm. way. I, I mean, I'm not in industrial design. I'm quite new to industrial design in general. But what is, I mean, maybe this is a question for you, Brad. Um, like, what's the balance between... Um, like experience and education hmm. is one weighted over the other or would someone with less education but more experience be at the same level of someone with a degree um I've, for me companies hire on cultural fit number one so i would say that's more important than than experience and education um it's a fact of life it's, it's better the devil that you know than the devil that you don't and I think that boils down to lots of hiring that goes on within industrial design oh I know that guy that knows that guy that kind of thing that that does happen um so unless you have that Loughborough thing on your CV or Brunel or Northumbria is a really good one um you just in most cases you just don't get the job and and that really is the the, the fact of of hiring an industrial design um and and if i was to put my kind of 
recruitment hat on as much as I can try and advocate going down another direction they're the companies that pay the bills unfortunately and that quite often is the direction that's given to me as the third party is oh no I want someone that's been educated at that university because the output is very very good so unless you can convince me otherwise and sure there are isolated cases where there'd be one person that went out to China got some really good experience there so we're gonna we're gonna go for that person but quite often it's cultural fit you know so um there's a lot of uh kind of nuance around hiring and we'll probably talk about it in future episodes of the pod so I can just ramble about recruitment for a bit um but there's lots of like nuance from one agency to another and it does take a long time to kind of figure it out so you've got like the Cambridge cluster you've got other agencies they're all doing the same work but they're very different in terms of culturally so that is for any um I don't know if this actually answers your question, but to any um, designer right now that's thinking about looking for a job, you really need to start understanding the cultural differences between one place to another. And and you'll, you'll find that quite often people tend to hire people that are quite similar to them. So look at alumni um, and you will often find your, your just your percentages of getting a job will just be far higher. Um, when I'm trying to source people, for example, it's very similar. So if I was to look at Win, for example, I know full well if I could find someone that was a bit of a DJ in their spare time, it would be going to be more likely to get <laughs> on with Win, and therefore the chances of hiring are a lot higher. So it's little things like that that that, that do go a long way. So um, the other thing I'd like yeah, to I hope that answers the question. It's, it's, it's one thing that I'm aware of. There's um, a very prestigious consultancy in the UK that only employs graduates from, I think, a couple of universities. And I think, and again, don't put me on uh, uh, on fact on this, but they also have a high proportion of students from private education. Mm. So there is a potential danger as well that what we call elitism is obviously there for trying to get quality. Mm. But I know that the these the kids that come from a private education that are therefore going to a very top university where their mums and dads have gone to university they understand what's what to look out for mm. then they get straight into a you know one of the uh, big consultancies in the uk or prestigious yeah. ones is that therefore it drives that which is it's it's so thin on the ground when you look at the amount of population it's really like tip of the iceberg and, mm. and i think that is that needs to be Readjust, but they do it for exactly what you're saying there. They know that a cultural fit from somebody who yeah. is well educated and well educated family. Yeah, um, and, to, and, and to take it that and to take it that one step further, if their agency side, their clients, if you look at the, if you actually break down their client list, the, the products are for the one percent. So you know you, you, that's one of the the key things as well to look at. And I always advocate this to any designer: is if you're going to go to an agency, look at their client list. And that is who they're pitching themselves to as an organization. So quite often that the hires will just generally reflect that. Um, and it's across the board in-house agency as well. You go, I, if you go to any in-house organization, you'll find that most people, they're not there for the job. They're there because they just love the brand. Um, so it may be the same 
where you are uh, ends here is that the people are there not for the job they're there because they're it's all about the purpose of, of what you guys are trying to trying to do um and everyone that goes through that hiring process they need to be fully on board with that don't they that it, it needs to be more than just a job yeah and i don't think we should be obviously kind of just this always should be focused on consultancy but i think mm. that it's to me where we've got this such a a thin chance of people who are design interested being actually mm. getting to do the things work for i mean everyone could you know it's a small part of people Exactly. That's what. I'm, that's what my point. Point is, is mm. that you know, there's there's a huge part of people that could be working for the rest of all these companies that, are, in my opinion, completely design uneducated. Mm. And and I think that there's an element of that design education at a societal level that would be good. Um, this is why I think. Think I just think things like I always compare our industry to other industries and kind of going, architecture's just got it nailed. They've got, um, you know. Um, the RIBA, they've got Grand Designs. I mean, it's diff- different. It does have a bit of an elitist kind of feel to it, though, architecture, I would say, as an outsider. It, it does. Of, and I yeah. think that, you know, it's almost like we are the kind of rebels in a certain sense because I feel, <laughs> I've always feel like I've been semi rebellious that you can kind of, you don't have to do what the rules of these people are. But, but yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, really, because. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there needs to be a, a better professionalism of design. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think the Chartered Technical Product Designer, I don't know if that's still a thing. I know that sort of uh, came around a few years ago. I uh, started sniffing about that, and then everybody became a back, a, a back burner. And there are, there are there have been attempts at this, but I think you're right. There, there needs to be that. Um, that chartership, that recognised uh, professional level, but I also think that there needs to be the the grassroots uh, entry point for like for the working classes as well, uh, and, yeah. and then have that um, continual uh, progression as you as you mentioned. You know? but I think I think Emma mentioned it before that that I think it's something we could do. I mean, I you know hypocritically have probably thought about it, but haven't actually done it. Uh, I've spoken with um, my sixth form. Uh, design technology there was six of us and you know four of us are really good mates and we were all, we're all doing different things in industrial design or, or architecture and you know i just thought imagine if we go back to to creating my heart my old high school and just talk to the kids and again especially the ones who've got no idea that this is yeah. even a thing and kind of go i did this i this was my path yeah. and you know i'm not kind of you know, put me out to be some kind of high achiever, but it's just more an awareness because, yeah. in my opinion, the main thing about school is this is again, it's a bit more of an educational rant, but the, the biggest thing about school is you can leave school knowing what you what you've been motivated to do for the rest of your life in a way. And I think yeah. that a lot of people just go in there too focused on kind of going, I've got to get certain certain grades without really having more of an awareness of different occupations that are out there yeah definitely um i the reason i asked earlier was because through my current job i work a lot with careers wales and i mean i'm in interior design so it's it is completely different but at the same time it has elements the same because i go back to my old school which is glen cloyd in uh, st asif and 
when I went there I did art and design which was kind of like an umbrella term for a lot of things went on to do fine art and then eventually got this job um as an interior design assistant and I go to schools now and when I say oh yeah I work in interior design and I still live in North Wales their faces just kind of light up like they never thought that would be a path for them and I remember being in school and thinking that's that's not something I can see me doing and staying in North Wales especially and I think if there was some kind of exposure um like early on when they are in school that can sort of spark something and be like actually that's something I could go to university to do and that's something I could see a future in um and I think there's just like there's just not a level of education like realistic education there at the moment so yeah and there's a particular nice link between all of us here because um I think that you know uh you caught the word recruitment, but it's also like it is careers advising, you know, <laughs> and there's an element of that where, you know, um, I'd be completely honest with you. I mean, um, I've known Paul with mm. Rachel for a long time and um, and uh, another group were cubic. I'm not trying to promote any other people. <laughs> you can cut this out if you want. Yeah, we'll but, edit them out. <laughs> but, my, but my point being, is that it's people that just feel they give a shit, right? And mm. and and I don't know how you describe that academically, but it's it's people that give a shit in this world that make things happen and and change things. And I think that 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 the likes of yourselves that that are thinking about their their role and what they're trying to get out of it, but you know, also it's a it's a marketing aspect that let's let's be honest about it as well. But it's how we get more of an awareness of mm what we're doing and you know um it's almost like if anybody was looking for a new move you know you, you use a recruitment let's call them careers advisors it's maybe a different word right is that is that they can help you on a path whereas i think a lot of people are forgetting where the core why they're doing something mm. i'm not trying to get all simon cider and everybody now but 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 realistically if you're focused on, I just need a bit of extra cash, and I'm, and I'll and I use a recruitment consultant, and the recruit so maybe their values is I'll just get you some extra cash somewhere, and I'll get a bit of extra cash. It's it's kind of it's on the what on that golden circle rather than the core why. And I think that you know that what I'm feeling from you, Brian, I've been really impressed with all of your LinkedIn posts and someone who you know generally just is looking to integrate with the industry. Stop it. Stop it. No, no, I genuinely <laughs> mean it. Like, you're the only person doing it. And, like, if I was, you know, we have, and we've looked at down that line, but there's, when you think about somebody and you think, I need help with this, you think, well, who's that person that I, I get a world and give a shit about? And I, and I come to you. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And I hope what what I want to do on the pod is what I don't really want it to be a recruitment podcast, trust me, because I'm, I'm bored to death talking about recruitment. Um, but, but but what I want it to be is to be that subliminal thing where people can start to understand the importance of it and kind of, obviously I'm not on everyone's Christmas card list, I'll be honest with you, and there are some stories that I won't go into <laughs> of certain people that I'm probably not, you know, um, probably do not like some of the, 
you know the fact that I have to take staff from their organisations and things like that. But that is the the unfortunate nature of the. Um, no, but you're not, you're not, are you? You're not taking staff from those organizations. Those people are making a conscious decision because their values don't meet the values of the company. So I don't think that recruitment's recruiters potentially get a bad yeah. name, but it's but it's not right. Uh, it does. Have, recruitment has a bad name, and I think we've all had bad experiences of going to a recruiter, and that really is why it has a bad name. Is everyone? It's a poor user experience. So um, we're trying to. De- debunk that day by day um but we're slowly getting there and i think this will help um and it's been it was it's nice actually since um i think i put on linkedin the other week ago that i was put on furlough so i'm kind of not working anymore and it was really nice actually some of the messages that i got from, from people in the industry and it was nice that some of the questions were not hi brad what jobs have you got but hi brad hope you're okay you know it's that kind of human level i think has been quite yeah. um yeah. It's been quite nice. Um, so it's yeah, the collaborative, it's the collaborative nature of sessions like this that mm. can that can people can work together because there's obviously there's four people here that give a shit. Um, mm. You might kind of you know you come from a session like this, you might scribble down a note and come to have something to follow up. I hadn't thought about that, or and it's yeah. and that's where the you know the collaboration just in the com- in bringing some people together that are related it is multidisciplined. This whole field and yeah. that includes recruitment. And I think that there's, you know, some interesting ideas can come from this. Well, that's it. I think there's a call to action, isn't there? Like if you're listening to this in a week or so when we've edited it and put it out uh, and you're an industrial designer and you've done something, uh, you know, you've got a few years under your belt, maybe get in touch with your sixth form uh, yeah. and go like, can I do an hour with... with uh, in particular, now, I think a lot of people are looking for, um, how can I put it? This kind of level of community within their role. So, yeah. um, you know, the fact that you, you know, it's not to be mad to go walk up Everest and get sponsored or something. But, you know, if there was a, like a LinkedIn culture of kind of going, here's a photograph of me going to my my old high school, and it's a LinkedIn, and yeah, it's a, a like fest, and someone, you know, it might help that person in their specific career. But you've got to find that motivation for people to do it. And I think that whilst we're all doing our jobs and we're all doing getting paid for it, I think that the light of day I'm thinking at the end of this COVID is that, you know, communities in theory should be a bit more benevolent towards the different people in, in, in that in that area. And what can I do to help? And yeah, what, what, what we actually want to do with Design Truth, which is kind of the platform, is to basically almost turn it into some sort of webinar so think of this as a session but imagine comments coming in from just from students from designers whatever and and effectively just taking this to the students in in, in a sense rather than kind of me sat in front of a um, lecture hall saying this is the five things you need to put on your cv actually why not we just get the design director from this company this company this company get them in a room on a webinar and then just say to all the universities, what questions do you have to, to these people? And that really is the kind of the industry call to arm of, of um, yeah. so that is what we want to do. And and the, the overall pop feedback has been really positive. I've, 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 not, I've not had no one come to me yet that said, Brad, what on earth are you doing? This is crap. The graphics look crap. Um, I've had none of that yet. Um, so the, 
it's always been this case of everyone wants to do something, but no one's got the time. So now there's a couple of, so it's a case of, right, let's actually just go and, um, go and try and put something together, um, yeah. which, which helps people. I think it's a, it's a time for reflection, isn't it? Cause I mean, I mm. think that's what I've, in a way I've kind of quite, in a weird way, kind of like this period as well. Like I've always been thinking about going, maybe every year everyone should have like a COVID month where they just, yeah. you know, they appreciate family, they appreciate nature, they appreciate freedom. And then yeah, the rest of the 11 months of the year, you know, whilst we're all probably a little bit more religiously disconnected, you know, different ways, um, is that you can kind of go, well, actually, I've took a bit of time just to actually lock myself into four walls. <laughs> And go, you know what? What? What's the great thing about life? It's good for it's good for the planet as well, though, right? It was whilst, whilst we've got you on, Win, because you are a head of design, and I often talk about this on my LinkedIn about portfolios. You have to think, think like the head of design, basically, because that is effectively your audience. Could you briefly tell us through that hiring kind of spree you went through a couple of months ago, or a couple of people that you brought on? What is your kind of thought process of, right, this is the person I want, this is what I'm looking for, just to give anyone that kind of um, perspective, you know, if someone is putting that portfolio together right now, as a head of design, what are you actually looking for? I'd say slightly inverting it is that I get put off by lots of things. Okay. Yeah. What are the big don'ts rather than the, the, the do's? Um, people not treating their portfolio like a proper design output and really mm. thinking about how easy is this to read and understand and actually giving it to someone who's potentially not a designer and going, can you read this and do you understand what it is? My point being there is that, you know, cr crappy graphics are just like, that's the worst. Um, and, you know, low resolution. And it's an element of graphic design skills. And unfortunately, you know, industrial designers aren't the best at it, but, there is an element of, of that that we, we have to we have to improve on. Um, I think sometimes when you feel like someone's trying to tell you absolutely everything, whereas sometimes I just need to know problem solution. And the fact that they are trying to dazzle me with loads and loads of sketches, which pretty much in the real world, you're doing one of those sketches for 99 pretty bad ones. And, mm. and the obsession with, you know, with that, sometimes I can kind of, it does annoy me. Um, it depends on different levels as well. So um, it, the design communication of, of visuals is unfortunately very, very clear, um, yeah. a clear differentiator. But ne nevertheless, I think I still look back at a CV. Um, I still want to know where they've come from. So there's an element of that filtration. Yeah. Um, How how long do you give it? How long do you give it before you say no? Are there many cases where you're kind of thinking about it or is it just that gut? I like this person. I don't like that person. No. So we, we have a short list, right? And yeah. um, we have um, a scoring one to five. Mm. Uh, we use a system called Breezy. Um, and essentially um, our in-house recruiter kind of puts these um, has done an element of filtration to begin with. 
Um, I'm not sure what his his is, but I think he has a quick flick through. And if he sees some really diabolical ones, in particular yeah, yeah. from international, some 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 international countries have right, got awful, awful um, portfolio culture. So mm. he does a bit of that. And then, if I'm honest with you, and you see, you pretty much ask any head of design this. I'm literally flicking, go through the presentation, uh, through the slides, I'll read through more, five minutes. Yeah. Do you get to the end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'll always go through. Um, but for me as well, a little bit of the end part of understanding, I know everyone's different, but I'm after a team player. Mm. And sometimes when I get a feeling that this person is doing, their interests are very much individual. That's a little bit of a turn off for me personally. I'm just just mm. saying that. I mean, I always try and find that, that they are going to be a team player. Um, but nevertheless, the interview then, you know, um, I think for every one position, we probably interviewed six, five or six. Mm. And to me, they had to bring a prototype. I wasn't, you know, if they didn't have a prototype, then um, they, they, weren't, they weren't coming in. Um, something tangible, you know, any physical product. I need to see some physical products. Mm. Uh, even if you are a graduate, you still have got models. But I'm also, I'm always in the back of my mind kind of going, I know some universities spend a lot of time polishing. And the polishing does make a difference. But I think the key eye for, the head, for anyone employing designers is to sometimes look beyond the polish um, mm. and look at, some, at those functional questions of, They've got no idea about manufacturing this person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've made some beautiful shape and they've got some electronic components sat inside. And I'm going, but how does that actually stay in there? <laughs> and then we go, oh, well, we didn't, that wasn't the focus of my project. Or um, So, you know, in the interviews, you spend a lot more time in going through the detail. But again, it, it's a time aspect for recruitment. So I would say the CV probably gets a minute of scanning through. I'm just yeah. being completely honest here now. And a CV, five minutes, which we probably are doing some scoring, between mm. one and five. And then the ones that have top scored, I'll then have another quick look through just to see if, because sometimes I've got another person reviewing them with me. And then at that point, we'll then call them in. But... Yeah, that's about a bit of a long answer, but probably longer than I spent it looking at portfolio. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. But that's the, that, it's important to dis- distinguish that, isn't it? Because there are lots of people out there that we're putting one together, and they need I to will, think. Um, I've got two stories though of people that have gone above and beyond. Actually, three, yeah. three quick ones. One, it wasn't didn't happen to me, but um, uh, one of um, the founders of Design Reality, Caroline, her father used to work at um, SodaStream, one of the one of the inventors of the SodaStream machine, and he had a story that one guy <coughs> claimed that he had been one of the main designers of Concorde, but he was born after Concorde took its first flight. <laughs> so, then, so then the guy said, "So he said, hold on, you've uh, you claim to have designed Concorde, like what's this?" And he's going, "Doesn't matter. I'm in front of you now, having an interview." <laughs> so there was an element of kind of, of that cockiness. We once had design reality. A guy delivered his CV and portfolio in a pizza box, okay. and it's memorable, right? It's memorable. My point being, if something's a little bit distinctive, um, I've got, I probably got about 
three or four portfolios that I really, really like that I've saved off because I'm mm. kind of going, these are, these are really, really nice. Um, in just in terms of how they communicate. And then the third one, um, do you think using that kind of physical element of it then? So if you're looking for a job right now, why didn't you actually go a bit old school and handle and, and deliver it? I suppose you can't if everyone's at home. Everyone, so this, this, this was my third one, right? So this guy um, applied for a job recently and he did get through the filtration process, but he'd linked in me to say, have I arrived, has my CV and portfolio arrived? And I'm going, Man, I'm, I'm all digital. What do you mean? <laughs> I sent it to you, and I'm like, like, why? I, you know, it's part of this kind of like this carbon footprint. Um, <laughs> why, what are you thinking about doing this thing when I just want it digitally? So it's sometimes, you know, it's difficult because it's the variables of what mood you're catching that person in. <laughs> Where they're kind of going like, why, why are you sending digitally like everybody else? But but it depends. Like I was in I put a busy day. And it was, you know, um, but it's memorable. But then you've got to get beyond that. You can do something that's memorable, but it's got to be, um, you know, a little bit deeper and sustainable than, than mm. that. But um, um, I think um, websites are becoming very popular for students. Um, you know, I, I certainly haven't got a winjones.com or anything like that, but it seems like everyone I'm finding now has got a website and there's a bit of a focus on that. And, and that's developing probably UI skills or it's coming from the UI skills or subjects mm. that they're doing in university. So um, that's why I notice is something I'm kind of going, oh, this person gives a shit about their career a bit here. Mm. They've, got, they've, got, they've got a website. You know, they've mm. got like hello at winjones.com or whatever. <laughs> it's like they're not just doing this just to score that job, you know, mm. and then so, yeah, it's that feeling as well that, the way that they present themselves is that they are professional, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, I think that's a struggle beyond a, a few universities. Mm. Nice. I don't know. I, I feel like we've kind of, um, I feel like we're there, aren't we, on this one? I don't know. Is there anything else that you'd, want, you'd wanted to say? Other than I really support this. Like, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. Um, I think just being as a probable, well, I will be a listener of this. I think if if you can obviously change the topics, that'll make it um, yeah, yeah. Uh, very very interesting. Um, and you know, is, any, yeah. is there anyone you'd like us to have on? Who would you like um, to listen to? Those group of people I mentioned before that you know, yeah. Um, um, is that the Christmas special? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, it's almost like why and, and and but I think it's also done I would also potentially interview people from the whole map of industrial design. So it could be, you know, something that's not doing, Yeah, it could be lecturers, could be students, right? Could be students, um, could be a keen high school student, could even be which is another perspective, maybe just a company that has manufacturing and doesn't really have design. Mm. So they don't really want it, right? Why, why don't they want it? I mean, it's we're all in this little industry that is really poorly connected, and maybe something like this is a really good way of, of connecting yeah. people. Um, so, yeah, I totally advocate this, promote it, support it, and uh, if I can help you any more, I'd love to. I, I do think that there's 
So I think the other thing is that I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I do. I need help to work out how we can help with this educational dilemma. Mm. Um, I think it is it is a problem that, that's not getting fixed. It's an innovation issue that the country's got um, that needs to be fixed. I don't know how. So a bit of a call to arms would be I personally would like to know how we mm. can get together. And I think being in London here, I do feel there's a bit of, obviously a large population and I'd be more than happy to meet two metres apart if anybody wants to meet in a park somewhere. <laughs> Um, it would be it'd be interesting when people listen to this weird and they might think, well, actually, I've got some quite good designers in my team, and it's not really much of a problem for me. So it maybe it'd be interesting to see if actually it's a a universal industry problem, um, or or not. Others may feel that actually it's it's serving quite well for them because they're getting the designers that they want, um, and it's fulfilling. Yeah, I, I just think that it's it's it's. It's almost like you don't know what you don't know. I think there's those, mm. was it Donald Rumsfeld? You've had those like four levels of, of the unknown knowns and all these types of things. But there's there's so many companies out there that need help with design. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. It's crazy how many there are. There's way more without them than there is with design, 100%. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that'd be, that'd be good. And, yeah, if I can support you with anything, let me know, even if it's just re- retweeting or sharing or whatever needs yeah. to be done. But, um, be just don't laugh at our graphics, really. That'd be <laughs> that's, the that's the best thing about it. We're asking for a kind of collaboration and for input on things like that, like the uh, the names and the graphics, uh, but we didn't get anything, so it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Oh, this has been really good. It's been really good. It's... Um, People don't realise as well is that it helps you helps you think when you like kind of it's been interviewed like it kind of helps you think better and um, so yeah it's actually brought home a lot of things that I know that I need to sort myself out on and you know I've been talking about some of these things for a while so um, yeah thank you hope you all stay well and fit and healthy mm. you and too. your families too you too cheers See you guys bye bye. Wow. Okay. Uh, what a, what a conversation. I mean, thank you so much to Win for that. I mean, Jesus, I could sit and listen to Win talk about design for like a whole week straight. That was incredible. Um, I feel like he scooped out so many of my own thoughts and articulated them back to the rest of the world in a way that um, that is just really helpful and it adds so much clarity. So I really hope that that adds something for uh, for anyone who's listening and anyone who's interested in design at all. Because so much of design is based around listening to other people and articulating their thoughts back to them through the medium of uh, sketching, construction, all of those things, just like shape building and understanding, hey, if you put the buttons in this order, that makes someone's life just easier. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. There's so many calls to actions. Please follow up. Please get in touch with your schools, your unis, your colleagues, anything at all. This is important. Thank you. Thank you. Good night.